Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Ambitious Podcast. My name is Dylan Price. I am an athlete, writer, and now podcaster, question mark? Okay. Well, this is my first episode, and it's not going to be like learning how to swim for the first time. I'm jumping right into the deep end. I'm recording this two days before the biggest sporting event of the year, Super Bowl 53. The Los Angeles Rams will take on the New England Patriots, and it's going to be fun. I will give you my prediction for the game on who will win and who will win the Super Bowl MVP at the end of the episode. But throughout this episode, there's a lot to cover. Most notably, the NBA. Anthony Davis, trade market. Kristaps Porzingis, traded. And a big question in the MLB that I'm going to address that could get some people pretty mad. It's going to be a fun one. Here we go. So I'm going to dive in with the most recent NBA news that sent shockwaves around the league. Kristaps Porzingis is now a Dallas Maverick. Wow. This happened out of nowhere. Nobody who wasn't directly related with the Knicks and Porzingis saw this coming, and it sent shockwaves through the league. Dennis Smith Jr., Wesley Matthews, DeAndre Jordan, a 2021st and a 2023 protected top 10 first, will be sent to the Knicks in this deal. This was more of a cap space shed deal, as on the other end, the Knicks gave up Porzingis, obviously, Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Trey Burke. So Trey Burke is a guy I've been fond of. He could be an underrated aspect of this deal. He could be a nice little shooter to add for the Dallas Mavericks. And in a playoff run, potentially, if they make that push, Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway Jr. could be nice roll pieces off the bench. So Kristaps Porzingis won't even play this year. It was announced tonight that Mark Cuban announced to ESPN that Porzingis will be rehabbing the whole year. So this is more of an investment and banking on the fact that Porzingis will be healthy for the 2019-2020 season. So now, the shockwaves around the league will send everything everywhere, and it diminishes value on Anthony Davis, which I'll get into later. But now, you deal with the aftermath of these trades. Dennis Smith Jr., he's going to be a nice beast for the Knicks. I mean... He he needed a scenery change. As soon as Luka Doncic got there, his talent got diminished, in a sense, and his statistics deteriorated, and he just needed a change of scenery. Whether New York is that, or eventually he has to go somewhere else, is the question, but he has talent. DeAndre Jordan and Wesley Matthews could be pieces that are kept around in the future, potentially, if the Knicks want to keep them there. But this was more about getting cap that expires off this season and getting rid of the Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway Jr. contracts that they were going to try to get rid of. They could always trade Wesley Matthews. That's a big possibility. There's multiple teams already interested in him. So look out for that. They also acquire a 2020 first rounder that's unprotected. So wherever the Mavericks finish, no matter what, they'll get that pick. And in 2023, they have the potential to acquire another first-round pick if the Mavericks end up in the top 10 in the draft. So, the Mavericks get Kristaps Porzingis on the investment that he gets healthy and you build the future around him and Luka. And you have basically a EuroLeague team in the NBA. Um, You get Trey Burke, Courtney Lee, and Tim Hardaway Jr., who are going to be nice role pieces for now. And... For the Mavericks, obviously, in the future, you could look at this and go, 
you know, that 2021 first and that 2023 first were big, you know, uh, assets to give away. Not really. The Mavericks are primed for a decent future. They're not going to have too high of picks. And you're giving up Dennis Smith Jr., who was likely going to get traded anyways. Wesley Matthews, who, you know, had some value and could get traded for someone else, but it makes up more of the value in the other aspect of the trade, and they didn't really need him anymore. And you give up DeAndre Jordan, who has kind of just not fit in with Dallas and could play a nice piece in with the Knicks, but most likely is going to be salary dumped off the cap after the season. So for the Dallas Mavericks, this is a win-win. You make an investment into a player. You get multiple key pieces who could help you off the bench with Lee, Hardaway, and Burke. But you invest in the fact that Porzingis can get healthy. And it's an investment Mark Cuban was willing to take. And it's an investment that the Shark Tank guy was well-educated on. I think this is going to pay off good for the future for Dallas. And I think it was a smart move for them. I think in the end, it paid off for them that New York didn't waste time and rushed and made this trade right away and didn't let things develop. And Dallas will, in my opinion, benefit greatly from this deal. Now to the bigger side of things, the next side. I've already covered they get Jordan and they get Matthews, who could be cap dumps or trade assets. You get a first-rounder, potentially in 2023, barring whatever happens with the protection of it, and you get a guaranteed 2021. That's going to likely be a late first. Or mid-first, if depending on how the Mavericks do. You get Dennis Smith Jr., who needs a change of scenery. You didn't get a lot for Porzingis. Obviously, his injury diminishes the value, but you also... You could have waited. This is what bothers me the most about this. You could have waited. If you're James Dolan's front office right now, you you rushed into this. I No matter what Porzingis said, if Porzingis said, I want to be traded in within the next week, so you wait that week out. You work till the last second to find the best deal. You don't just rush into it and go, you know, I'm going to find this deal looks like it blows me away. Okay, you evaluate the talent and you like it, cool, but there could have been better options. You could have packaged Porzingis up, and if you really want AD that bad, put him in that deal. Because now you don't have a lot of assets left. You have your first, and you're really going to give up your top three draft pick that could likely be Zion Williamson to the Pelicans? No. Knicks fans will cry if that happens. I know New York. They would rather have a top three pick that, oh, you can get Zion, the face of ESPN, Big market team, oh, it's just written in the stars. Or you can get Anthony Davis, a proven star. I would take Anthony Davis three out of three times every week. But Knicks fans are likely going to want Zion because it's the big flashy toy. Oh, it looks so cool. We want this. So you're not going to have this deal happen now. In my opinion, they're out of the Davis race now until the summer, until whatever happens in the summer comes into fruition so you knock yourself out of another sweepstakes that you really want you shed some cap great but if you don't sign two max contracts this offseason and you don't get star talent on that team this is a wash you basically acquire a couple veterans 
who don't help you for much because you're trying to tank, who end up being dead cap off the books. You get Dennis Smith Jr., who, yeah, it could end up good, but who knows? You get a first that will likely be a mid to late first. You could still strike gold with that. I'm not saying you can't. Kyle Kuzma is a prime example of that. He was a mid-first, late-first. I don't remember exactly where he was picked for the Lakers, and he's been a great asset to that team. So, yeah, you could find gold with that pick, and maybe the 2023 pick ends up being a very good pick for the Knicks. But right now, this all bars on what happens this season, or this offseason. If they get two max free agents this offseason, and that cap ends up turning into... Kyrie Irving and KD, or Kyrie Irving and Kemba, or any kind of combination of two stars, plus probably Zion Williamson or Cam Reddish or RJ Barrett, a top three player in this year's draft. So you have this big three in mind, but it might not come to fruition, and then you're going to look back at this and go, well, crap, maybe we should have taken more time. And Knicks fans are... This is what's bothering me. I'm going to change away from the basketball logistics now because I've kind of explained it in depth that this all bars on what happens in the summer for the Knicks and what happens with Porzingis' rehab for the Mavericks. But now, what's bothering me about the Knicks? I just need to get this off my chest. Not the Knicks organization. I went into that already, but the fan base. When, a couple years ago, Porzingis was drafted, I was at a minor league baseball game that is local to my area. And they were kind of, like, highlighting the draft. Like, first pick was whoever it was that year. I don't remember. And then I'm a Laker fan, so I remember that year. It was number two. It was D'Angelo Russell. Then it was number three. It was Jalil Okafor. Or that first pick that year was Carl Anthony Towns, I believe. So then you get to number four. And they take the kid from a European nation that most Knicks fans have never probably heard of. And most Knicks fans weren't educated on the kid. And they wanted... Dennis Smith Jr. or the other big flashy toy at the time. I don't remember who was on the board at that time for them. So they boo. And they get pissed. And they don't like this deal. They don't like the fact that they're going to end up with a kid from Lithuania who they'd never heard of. I believe he's from Lithuania. If I'm wrong, someone tell me. But Nick fans have a problem. Obviously, New York media, it gets blown up. And then... Last season, before his injury, which was brutal because he was balling out, Porzingis was on his way to superstardom. And then, all of a sudden, Nick fans are like, let's order our Porzingis jerseys, he's a superstar, we need to hitch our wagon down the Porzingis train, because he ended up being the smartest decision. Well, then he got hurt. And then this slow builds tank, and obviously... I am not a proponent of the whole leaving the team when it's about to get bad. But he doesn't want to waste his career in a rebuild in New York where he knows the front office could be a mess. And it's to him it was a bad situation and he knows better than any of the fans that it was a bad situation in his head so he wanted to get out. So now you bash him? I don't understand. If you would have stayed consistent and just consistently bashed him, I could have understood that. If you bashed him from the start and bashed him now, that would have made sense. But Knicks fans, even ones I'm friends with, 
were in love with Porzingis. They named him Porzing God, and he was a superstar, and he was the next Knicks star that revolutionized New York basketball. And then he gets hurt, and then it's over. Then he asks for a trade, and now he's gone. He's a villain, and he is just a terrible human being, according to most Knicks fans. Well, get over it. It's the NBA. It's a business. James Dolan did what he thought was best for the franchise. I don't agree with it. I think he should have waited longer. Mark Cuban did what was the best for his franchise, and Kristaps Porzingis did what was the best for Kristaps Porzingis. They didn't do the what was for the best for the Instagram, Twitter, whatever trolls that go on the internet and think they're general managers. Get over it. It happens. Basketball moves quick. On to the next story. So this past Thursday, Rich Paul of Clutch Sports notified the New Orleans Pelicans that his client Anthony Davis wants out. He will no longer be a part of the Pelicans after 2020 contractually, but he wants out before then. He wants to be traded, and he wants to go elsewhere. And first, before I dive into the logistics of what could happen and everything, I want to say Anthony Davis has been awesome about this whole situation. There was not a better way you could go about it. Tampering or not, whatever you want to say, $50,000, fine, whatever. Davis approached this the perfect way. With mics in his face today, everyone questioning him. The world watching, because Davis is the headline right now in the NBA. He says, this is about my legacy. This isn't about the money. This isn't about going somewhere with superstars and building a super team. It's about his legacy. And that was the most respectable and appreciative thing Davis has said. Also, the fact that, unlike the guy I just mentioned earlier, Kristaps Porzingis, who I don't have a problem with, just the fans, I'm not going to get started on that again. <laughs> it's um, He didn't give him a timetable, so that's a big thing for the Pelicans because now they can work with this and say, you know, if the Celtics offer them a deal that they think they can get over the summer, which, because they can't make the deal now because of NBA rules, they could say, you know, over the summer the Celtics will offer us a better deal than the Lakers, we'll hold out till then. Obviously, crap could hit the fan then, and the people who are supporting Dell Dems trading him before the deadline agree with that sense. The people after the deadline supporting him saying, wait for the Celtics, are basically saying, you know, the Lakers package isn't as good as the Celtics, and the Celtics package gives us a better group for the future than the Lakers, which that's a personal opinion. I think both packages would be great for Pelicans to develop their team for the future. So Del Demps is at a crossroads. He's got people in his ear on both sides, people saying, trade to the Lakers, get your stars, or trade to some other team right now, because I don't want to make this Lakers Celtics. The Knicks could come out of nowhere. The Raptors could come out of nowhere. There's teams that could come out and swoop the Pelicans off their feet and get Anthony Davis and the world would be shocked, but it could happen. The package could be what Dell Demps and the Pelicans front office likes, but this is the crossroads for the general manager of the Pelicans, Dell Demps. Whichever way he go, or whichever way he goes now, sorry, he's hitching his career to that. If he goes the Lakers route and gets Lonzo, Ingram, Zubak, and... Kuzma and a first well guess what you're attaching yourself to those players pick 
for the next however many years until you can fairly grade this trade. If you do it with the Celtics way, then you're attaching yourself to those players' picks, etc. You're hitching your wagon and your career onto the package you get. So that's why you block out the front office noise and you go with your heart, you go with your talent evaluating side, and you pick the package that's best. Do I think, in my opinion, I'm a Laker fan, completely unbiased here, the best package you can get is with the Celtics. So why not wait until the offseason? Why not wait until everyone's getting traded and this dies down and then you can trade him to the Celtics and get, say, hypothetically maybe a Jason Tatum or a Gordon Hayward and then younger players or some deal of that sort and build up your team. That could happen. And it would be the best situation for Dell Demps, for the Pelicans, and for their future. And then Anthony Davis Sr. comes out today and goes, my son doesn't want to be a Celtic. He doesn't want to do that. They're not loyal. Look at how they treated Isaiah Thomas. Well, slow your roll, because that's not what happened. Isaiah Thomas got traded from the Cavs as a casualty of war with the whole Kyrie Irving LeBron situation, who now are apparently good. That's a topic for another day. But Isaiah Thomas goes to the Cavs. LeBron didn't believe he fit. And then he goes to the Lakers where Luke Walton didn't know how to use him and he was a secondary piece. The fact is, Isaiah Thomas fits so well with the Celtics because Brad Stevens knew how to utilize him. Brad Stevens knew how to make him work. So not all coaches are going to be able to do that. So you're going to give Isaiah Thomas as the example of why they were unloyal? No, they weren't unloyal. Isaiah Thomas is a basketball player. As I just said with the Porzingis deal, basketball and every sport is a business. So they made the best business decision, and Isaiah Thomas became a Cav. What happened after that does not relate to what happens with the Celtics. So you're going to tell me that because his career went to crap, because he didn't make things work, or the situations he landed in didn't help him? That's not a fair example. Maybe your son, Anthony Davis, is not a Celtics fan. Well, he could end up there. That's a real possibility. He doesn't have the leverage here. The Pelicans do. And this is the Pelicans' choice. And if he ends up with the Celtics, guess what? You play for a year. You don't have to resign. Because if you sit out, you're going to get bashed. And me saying that, you know, I like and I respect what Anthony Davis did today, goes out the window. If he pulls some move and holds out for a year like Le'Veon Bell, respect dips down. People begin to bash on him. And in all honesty, his market for the next season goes down. But he's not like that. He's not going to stop playing because he is worried about the money. Maybe Anthony Davis Sr. thinks he should, but he is not Anthony Davis. So, with all of this going on, the best fit for Anthony Davis, in my opinion, is Los Angeles. The Celtics are a organized mess right now. That's the best way I'd say because they're not. They're working really well right now, and they have a really good team, and I actually like what they're doing there. But now there's all these rumblings, you know, Kyrie might go to the Knicks, Kyrie might go to the Lakers, etc., 
you are in an organized in organized chaos right now that isn't that bad from the inside, but on the outside, maybe it's just getting hyped up a little more than it is. Brad Stevens is an excellent coach. He will make things work. The best fit for Anthony Davis, though, is with the Lakers. Do I think he would do great in a Brad Stevens system? Yes. But with the Lakers, he gets to pair with LeBron. He gets to get tutelage from LeBron for the next four years, and he gets to be under his wing. Because once LeBron retires, then AD could stay a Laker. Or AD could have that knowledge for the rest of his life, and he could contend for a championship with LeBron by his side. It would be a good duo for him, and it's a big market. He could make a lot of money. That's not saying he can't make money in Boston, but L.A. is a much bigger market than Boston. He can make endorsement money. It's the best fit for Anthony Davis. Will that be where Dell Demps and the Pelicans front office trade him? Who knows? But, so, to recap, where I think his best fit is, is L.A. Where I think the best package the Pelicans can get is with the Celtics. Where I think he ultimately ends up going is the Celtics in the offseason or the Lakers at the trade deadline. That's kind of where I lowered it down to because he said, well, according to Rich Paul and there are rumors getting put out, he said he wants to be a Laker. Hopefully he ends up being a Laker. I would love that, but he would fit well with the Celtics. But now his dad's coming out and saying, you know, he doesn't want to be there. It's all over the place. This could go anyway. But I let my opinion out there, and I think he would fit great with the Celtics. But I think, or he would fit great with the Lakers. But the best fit for the Pelicans front office to get the best package would be the Celtics. On to the next thing. So here's my idea. I'm going to keep this short and to the point. What if there was a deadline for when players couldn't sign? This would never work. The MLB Players Association would never deal with this. And it would cause so much problems. But for the fans, this is living in dream world right now. What if there was a way to speed up the offseason and you get fast-paced signings like it used to be? Like how I remember it, like how tons of people remember it. Because this offseason has been a drag. Let's be real here. Superstars have not signed, and it makes being a reporter harder, and it makes being a fan just kind of depressing. So... What if there was a rule that said you have to sign by this time or you forfeit money or you can't go to training or something? If they made a rule, how would that change it? How would that change free agency? It would give smaller players an opportunity to get more money because of, you know, if a big star like, say right now, this is my example of it. So say Manny Machado doesn't sign a deal until... I don't know, two weeks from now, like a couple days before spring training. Well, with this deadline, you know, the deadline's coming up and Manny's not going to sign and you need to fill a hole. And, you know, some of these backup players, like say, uh, um, I know he already signed, but he was on the market. So say a Josh Donaldson is out there, you know, a former um, superstar and, you know, trying to revitalize his career. Well, you know, throw a little money his way, he signs with you, and Machado gets in his trouble, and you still get a quality player, and you still have money to make other moves because you didn't wait for that signing to happen. I don't know. 
it's just a propositional idea. It probably could never work, but it's just more of a kind of way of thinking of there's nothing to talk about in MLB right now. And if this idea ever came to fruition, it would make the offseason so much more fun. But for now and for the future, we just have to deal with waiting for the dominoes to fall. So please, Bryce, Manny, sign a contract already. Please. Let's go on to the next thing. Here we go. I saved the best for last. Super Bowl 53 this Sunday. And my take is my prediction that the Super Bowl 53 champions will be the Los Angeles Rams. And the Super Bowl MVP, Todd Gurley. Here's why. 2002. The St. Louis Rams face Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Brady wins his first ring. Kurt Warner leaves with unfinished business. And the Rams fade off into wherever they end up and eventually end up in L.A. With Jared Goff now as the quarterback. A young, innovative offensive mind. A young duo of a young quarterback and a young coach versus the veteran Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. It's a great matchup, but let's look more at the roster sense. With the Patriots, you have players who are there for a reason, because Belichick thinks they fit. They fit into his mold, they fit into his roster, they fit into the way he wants his team. Maybe they won't succeed somewhere else, but they're Belichick's team. They're his players, and they work for him, so you can't value... Belichick's team based on talent. You have to value it based on how they fit with the team. Because for a Belichick Patriot team, the stats might not be there and they might not play for the single entity goal, but they play for a collective goal of success. And that's kind of the Belichick way. The different way Sean McVay built his team is they went out. And they spent money. They cut checks to Dominic Sue and all these big free agents, Aqib Tlaib, etc. You acquire players like Sam Shield and Marcus Peters, big, loud talents. And you build, and you have two cornerstones, and Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, and you have an absolute superstar running back who you decide to pay because you want to keep him around, and Todd Gurley. So you have cornerstones, and you have a ragtag group, that around the league is known as misfits. Then you come out strong and you make a statement. You go undefeated for a little bit, and then eventually, yeah, you fall, but you make a statement that you're no joke. So now, this is the biggest game of McVay, Goff, basically this whole team's life. They only have four players who have ever been in the Super Bowl before. The Patriots team, well... About 90% of the team was here last year. And they have a sour taste in their mouth. So why? Why would I pick the Rams over the Patriots who want vengeance? They want blood. They want a W. And Brady, he wants another ring. 
So why would I pick the Rams, who seem like they have no shot? One player. Todd Gurley. Last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, C.J. Anderson was the lead back. And C.J. Anderson's been, like, getting a big bulk of the workload. That's the best way to say it in L.A. And people are just kind of forgetting about, you know, the guy that until week 13 was up there with Patty Mahomes as the favorite to win MVP. But, you know, this is a brilliant move that maybe Sean McVay didn't even mean to make. It's a chess move. Gurley gets slid under the carpet. Obviously, not by choice. Injuries, etc. hindered him. But then last week, you have to, or two weeks ago, sorry, you have to abandon the run because you're struggling against a dominant Saints team in that game. And you find a rhythm with the passing game and the short yardage game with C.J. Anderson. So Todd Gurley, with injuries, kind of has to sit out. Well, now he's had a couple weeks off, two weeks. He's kind of got to rest that knee, relax, let it set in that he's playing the biggest game of his life. And he's not the kind of guy that lets that rub off. He lets that sink in. And that's going to get in his blood. And he is going to dominate. I am telling you. Sean McVay will be ready. Bill Belichick, this would be the biggest game plan mistake for Belichick. Falling for the decoy. Looking at C.J. Anderson and going, well, he's played real good. I should just scout him and, you know, plan around the fact that they'll use him as their secret weapon decoy. You know who the real secret weapon is? Todd Gurley. Gurley is going to ball out this Sunday. Because McVay has kind of hit him under the carpet and, you know, turned him from a high-profile player, and he's used injuries to their advantage. And this Sunday, he will come out, and he will ball out. Plus, think about it this way. I'm going for Gurley being a big impact, obviously, into the game. But the part that drives the Rams further into my head as the winners is this is a misfit team. Maybe last year you can say, obviously, the Eagles are the underdogs. You know, they're injured. And they don't have their star quarterback. Okay, they're injured with their star quarterback and a couple other pieces. But that team was still complete with their key pieces aside from Carson Wentz. They still found backup players that could fill in for any injuries, and they made it work. And they still were the same team that dominated the whole year, and they found another way to win. So were they necessarily underdogs? Yes. But were they ultimate underdogs? No. So now you get back in the same situation, where you could say the Rams are, you know, Dylan, they didn't have a lot of injuries. They should be considered the same kind of underdogs. They're deeper underdogs. This is a team of misfits, like Ndamanik Sue, who's gotten in trouble his whole career. Patrick Peters, not Patrick Peters, sorry, Marcus Peters, who, you know, his biggest accomplishment, aside from talking a lot of smack, is calling out Sean Payton and getting some gumbo. I mean, the guy just talks smack. I, I can't think of an example. I was trying to come up with an example of there of something crazy successful he's done. He's had great picks. He's had a couple great games. And he's flashed that he's a number one corner. And in all honesty... He's played the perfect way for the Rams this year. But this is the biggest game for the Misfits and for the Rams to step up. 
you're in a city that doesn't really appreciate the full grasp of this football team yet. Your misfits, your underdogs, you have more emotionally to play for than the Patriots. The only one on that team who can really say that they have a lot to play for emotionally, aside from the fact, you know, you want to avenge a loss. That can only go so far. This is more about personality. The Rams, this team, has always been overlooked. And now they get a chance to make a statement at the expense of a Patriots team. They are going to play their asses off. It's going to be a great performance. I, If they don't play their butts off, it's going to be because Belichick came out and found a way to win. And you know, that's a real possibility. But in my head, in my mind, and in my gut, I have the Rams winning this game. But don't underestimate Brady. That's the last thing I'm going to say on it. I think the Rams are going to win. I think the misfit vibe and the underdog vibe is too strong once again. I think Belichick's going to have a great game plan, though. But I think the one crack in his game plan is going to be Todd Gurley. That's why I think Todd Gurley will win Super Bowl MVP and be a key factor in the Rams' win. With that said, you can never overlook Brady and Belichick. And I could be coming on this podcast next time and saying, here's why I was wrong. Well, that's all, folks. Thank you guys for listening to my first episode of the Ambitious Podcast. I'll see you next week.